Derek, what was it you always used to talk about opening and wasn't in a pub? Everyone loves it here. It's, this is a huge success. Why didn't you open your pub? Nobody wants pubs around here. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a terrible investment. What was going to be your signature dish? Liver scotch eggs with a honey curry mustard. <laughs> They're not real. You get that, right? None of it is real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real. Because this isn't real. You aren't real. <laughs> okay. Derek, why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't even know you because you haven't shown them. Every day you'll wake up and there'll be less of you. You live your life for them and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Derek, who has my pig? To a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago, but said he needed to go make sure he wasn't burning his bacon. Which seems an oddly inappropriate comment given our subject matter today, but what can you say other than that is Reed? I'm sure he'll be back. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into our current series, a series voted on by our patrons. Won't you join them? Featuring the man, the myth, the ghostwriter himself, Nicholas Cage. Speaking of Ghost Rider, last week, friend of the fog and endlessly good sport, Jackson Harper, joined us for a 500-mile ride across the desert and then just disappeared, but not before offering his thoughts on 2007's Ghost Rider. This week, we'll be remembering every meal we ever cooked with last year's lovely and elegiac, elegiac, 
That's right. Today we're discussing the film Morbius. <laughs> Just kidding. We are actually covering Pig. But before we get there, let me remind you, lest you've forgotten that here at The Fear of God we explore, we don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com. Things such as essays, team bios, episode archives, how to support us on Patreon, won't you join the party, merchandise, and read! Hey, buddy! No. I'm here, folks. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, it's right on the nose or right on the snout, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Hey, buddy. Yep. Hi. How's it going, man? I'm, uh, I'm here. I am mm. here. Are you here? Indeed, you are. I am. Well, last I checked, I think. I mean, yeah. You I never think know. I'm here. Uh, so, Reed, last week, we, what? We had a good time. Talking oh, about Ghost fun. Rider. Listen, I had more fun talking about Ghost Rider with Jackson Harper than I did watching Ghost Rider. Sure. Jackson's a I good mean, hang. He really is. And he pointed something out that he pointed out that, you know, we have the Quarterly Kings. Uh-huh. And just recently, we inaugurated the Quarterly Queens. He said, if we have him on with any regularity, he can be the Quarterly Jack. We just need the Listen. aces. And what I thought... And I, what I thought, but didn't say, is like, well, we're the aces. Hey! <laughs> I thought you. Now listen, where you went is far better than I thought you were going. But I thought you were about to double down on your inside joke and be like, "We need the aces. We got Chucky aces." No, I wasn't going to bring that back. Up. No, no. <laughs> but you did for me, so that's it. I did. I did. Go, go yeah. listen to Willie's Wonderland if you're curious what we're referring to. Oh, my it's, gosh. It's no funnier there, but it at least will contextualize itself. So, yeah, you know, like, if we have all that crew on here, we'll have a full house. Like, for real. Everywhere you look, everywhere is a heart. And hold on, hold to. on to. I don't even like that show, but you know, <laughs> that's it's a just great song though. Woven into the fabric of my memory. That's true. Which I don't know if that's a that's good true. or bad thing. I don't mind it. At least I don't mind my memory of it. I wonder if I watched it today, if I'd get pretty tired if, of it after if, a while. You know. I mean, what if that were a thing you could say? It's like I really hate my memory of. Oh, I guess. I guess <laughs> I, that does. I guess I that works say that about several levels. things. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the day we met. I could make a list. <laughs> Just kidding. Best day I of your life. I could make a list of just all, the, all the all the things that I hate my memory of. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, you know, that's a fun thing. We need concept, a listicle. Best day of Reed's lives. Num- the number one ooh, day I met ooh. Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> not day child is born. Not no. day I married my nope. wife. Nope. No, no, no. Day nope. I met Nathan. Yeah, yeah. because <laughs> let's be honest. Had you not met me, you wouldn't have ended up in California. Thus, wouldn't have met your wife. Thus, wouldn't have had that kid. You know? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got some business time to get to, Reed. So, we do. Riri, since last time, well, did we had the Foggies released when we recorded last? So, when we recorded, no, they had not. That's what I thought. So, but obviously, like, so weird time travel. We recorded, um, 
the first installment uh why am i blanking on our first oh willie's wonderland we recorded mm-hmm. willie's wonderland and we recorded ghost rider on the same night both predated the foggies what's funny about that is that the foggies were recorded and came out before either of those were released that's right <laughs> so that's how it works yep. when yep. you are uh you know ace in the hole um <laughs> and we just need to tip our hat to mr james wan and gabriel himself you know i i that's exactly I gotta right. believe that winning the foggy for best picture is the the sequel is going to be greenlit any second now i'm just oh, waiting any, for that headline yeah. mm-hmm. You know. Oh, absolutely. And you heard it here first, mm-hmm. folks. And uh James wow. will be calling us up and asking for some ideas. And let me tell you, we got plenty. Um <laughs> to the typewriter. Yes. So go check out the foggies. That was a grand old time, despite the fact that, that I couldn't be there, which is really lame. Uh business time read. Yes. Business time is what we're doing right now. And mm-hmm. it is important mm-hmm. to let the listeners know mm-hmm. that we have it you just invoked it a minute ago. We have a quarterly king on the horizon. It is not far. <laughs> Um, it, indeed. And in fact, it's probably closer than we want to know that it is because we're just not really paying <laughs> I, I attention panicked to the calendar. When I oh. saw that, yes. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. That's so, uh, six um, weeks our now. first okay. quarterly king of 2022 is a little later in the calendar than it typically would have been, basically because we were waiting for the release of what will be coming out May 8th, 13th. 13th? Yep. Got to clear the way for old multiverse of madness. Uh, That is Firestarter. We will be discussing Stephen King's Firestarter. Uh, Like most of these quarterly King conversations, I imagine it will be pointing to uh, multiple reference points. The new one starring Zac Efron, the old one starring Drew Barrymore, the book itself, the, you know, uh, song from... (laughs) What's it? Prodigy. Prodigy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The song from Prodigy. We'll get some love. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, Firestarter. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would definitely say, like, as preparation for that, the most eminent thing is check out the book. We will absolutely be, as Quarterly Kings go, we will be centralizing the primary focal points of the discussion around the actual text of Stephen King's book. However, since we are formatting that release around uh, the new version of Firestarter and we're going to be referencing the old Firestarter, we did a very similar thing when the new Pet Cemetery came out. So consider that oh, yeah. basic flavor. So, um, so yeah, check out the book, most especially, um, but also reacquaint yourself with the old film starring Drew Barrymore and George C. Scott playing a Native American for reasons I don't understand. Um, and then also check out the new one when it comes that's out Hollywood. on Peacock. That's which, acting, kid. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what it is. Um, so, Which none of us uh, have seen the new one yet. So, uh, yeah, but it'll be releasing to theaters and available on Peacock, I think, day and date when it comes out. So That's helpful. Um <laughs> Because I really got to reserve my movie going these days, my theater going these days, and <laughs> sure. Doctor Strange is in view, bro. Um, <laughs> bro. Uh, second business time, and then we will move into our patron segment is uh, appropriately join Patreon. Join oh, it. Please Come do on that. Out. You get some sweet Jacob Hunt swag. Uh, thank you to Jess Fishley oh, for uh, sporting that for right. us on the Instas and the new uh, um, new version of the It's Alive art exclusively for uh, upper tier patrons at patreon um but that sure looked great it sure looked great it really it did i was like oh daggum i'm gonna become a patron <laughs> i'm not only a hair club president i'm also a patron too um also glad. but in addition to sweet things like sweet swag you also get a participatory role in things like the foggies the that's true aforementioned foggies get to you know craft that get to maybe come on and do that so yeah mm-hmm. join patreon it was a fun time 
Speaking, Reed, of Patreon, my five-year-old mm. will often these days use the phrase, speaking of, and she uses it in context. It's really cute and sweet. Um, Aww. We're about to go to the patron-only segment, and just to give listeners a little tease, those who might not be patrons yet, what are we going to do in this patron-only segment, Reed? Oh, we're going to start giving teasers. Um, so uh, up ahead, you can look forward to a what you're watching, reading, listening to segment, hey. and also another special appearance of Lackey the Listicle, what? counting down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, uh, counting down some of our favorite pigs in pop culture. <laughs> Those are some pigs, but you know what? You want, you want to, to the list. patron mobile. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. About this so movie. About this movie. Let's about talk this about movie. this movie, Which Reed. Hey, also brother. called hmm. Pig. Hi. Hey, Which man. is also called Pig. It is Nicolas Cage's 100th starring role huh. in a feature film. Didn't know that. Which I think is really interesting. He makes a lot of movies. Um, so I want to start with your footprint for the film, generally speaking. Then maybe we can move into like quibbles and bits and just start talking about it. So... I'll give the I'll give the premise and then uh, that allow you a beat to to formulate your experience of slash you know overlay with this movie. So the premise is basically Nicolas Cage plays a recluse who we learn through the course of the film is a former widely known really really popular and legendary chef and currently he's a recluse who lives out in the woods with his truffle pig in the early stages of the film the first like 10 minutes his his uh, house is broken into and his pig is stolen. The remainder of the film is him on a quest through some labyrinthine and somewhat odd uh, little adventures to reclaim his lost pig. And uh, we won't necessarily get into exactly what happens, although I'm sure through the course of the episode we will, but that is the general premise of the film. So what did you know? What did you not know? And what did you think? Uh, well, this is my second time watching it, and you know, you and I, after twenty years of friendship, have, in addition to uh, uh, occasional flare-ups like we just had in the patron segment. If you're not a I patron, call that a flare-up. I know, I know. I'm no, I'm I'm doing the salesman <laughs> shtick. I'm trying to get people oh, to, gotcha. to yeah, become yeah, yeah, patrons oh. so they can hear us fight about bacon. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Um. Uh. So, uh, uh, over twenty years of friendship, and there is this balancing act that happens when one of us get excited about a thing the other is not super familiar with yet where sure, you sure. you risk turning off your peer to the thing you're excited about because of overhype and mm-hmm. you threatened to do that with pig in 2021 um sure and did. so i it was one of those things i figured i might enjoy it uh didn't never anticipated we'd cover it for the show um and then i had to let the conversation die down a little bit and then you even ribbed me for it <laughs> get it um <laughs> <laughs> all the all the meat jokes all the meat jokes um uh because one night i actually had some time because i wasn't in hyrule fighting fighting ganon or various other zelda based minions um <laughs> and i was like i'm gonna watch pig 
and I didn't tell you I was going to do it. And I just turned it on one night and I watched it. And if you don't, if you haven't seen the movie, it can be a bit, you know how here's, here's a, a, a fair comp, you know how in okay. power of the dog, it's like 99% mm-hmm. boring as hell. And then you get to the end you're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that chilling. Sure. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you're yeah. wrestling with agreeing with that, but, um, <laughs> I this, don't disagree as much as you think I would. Okay, cool. Uh, this yeah. this movie doesn't share that in terms of boring. It shares the surprising punch at the end. There's yeah, not a yeah, big yeah, spoiler. Yeah. There's not a big insane plot twist. It's once mm-hmm. the film, reve- in this case with Pig, once the film reveals its heart, it's yeah. very surprising that that's what it's what's going on what it's been about mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. so so was pretty moved by that um the first go around and for this viewing um i don't know i i kind of willed myself to enter in to its mm-hmm. to its speed which is to yeah, say there sure. isn't much um it's pretty deliberate i agree. Yeah, yeah that was mm-hmm. deliberate um <laughs> and 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 just found it a really rich rewarding viewing um, hmm, i'm glad to hear that yeah I, I it won't sit on a you know kind of a top a best of all time type of thing but but in terms yeah, of it's yeah. it's highly recommendable it's highly watchable it's highly thoughtful uh if you get on the right wavelength for it it's highly moving so so yeah yeah uh, yeah I, I like it awesome i had heard this film was coming out and suspected it would be bananas, Gonzo, Nicolas Cage, like, Oh my God, it's going to be, he, they stole his pig. And I figured we were going to get like 17 <laughs> scenes of him. Like you stole my pig. Like, <laughs> I, I, like, like I really thought that was what we were going to like. It's like man on fire, pig. but with Nicolas Cage and a pig. <laughs> and basically yeah, like yeah. I thought that was what we were going after. <laughs> and, uh, and so what was funny is like, that's what I was prepared for. I was like, oh, eventually I'm going to watch that. That's going to be fun. Well, then the first thing that that sort of piqued my interest was seeing the Rotten Tomatoes score is like was like 96, 98 percent. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. OK, so this is either a more thoughtful and 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 reflective piece than I suspected it was going to be or. This is so much more bananas, gonzo, mm, weird right. out there, you know, that that like. it's either much more of the same that I thought or completely different than I thought. And so I was just very, very curious about it. Right. And so then without spoilers and stuff, I tried to like skim. Okay. What, what are people praising about it? Well, then the headlines are not like, Oh, Nicholas Cage is unbridled or whatever. It was all along the lines of thoughtful, meditative, moving, something like that. And I was like, wow. Okay. So I did something that I'd so rarely do these days. And I blind bought it when it became available for, um, digital release. I had a little bit of extra spending cash and I, and I, and I blind purchased it a little bit of a risk. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to like this movie or not, but I watched it. And from first viewing, I was quickly and fully on this film's wavelength. I was floored, stunned, moved completely enraptured with what the film was doing. It did not require, and I'm not saying this necessarily to contrast with what you're saying it didn't require the emotional wallop at the end like i was very on the wavelength for this film i feel like pretty quickly to what it was doing 
And so I've now seen it four times and I absolutely love this film. I think this is going to be a film for me, which is going to continue upon repeat viewings to resonate. It's going to continue to move me and, and in some ways challenge me. And hopefully I'll be able to do some degree of justice to the things that it invokes in me. Um, when we, when we get to that space, um, that having been said, as much praise as I would heap on it, you know, I'm happy to go into a little bit of quibbles and bits because I do have one minor quibble with it. Um, if you want to, we can go into that segment. Yeah, let's do it. I don't know if you're prepared to do that, but um, I'll go ahead with my one quibble. And the one thing that I will say is um, if somebody were to watch this film and be like, yeah, but the fight club scene, I would be like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> I have no well, real idea what that what that scene well, fully is about. That's funny. It's so funny you brought that up because I didn't plan to to offer a quibble, but then you let us in there and I was like, well, that might be what yeah, I would offer, sure, not sure. knowing you were about to say that. I almost texted you today because if I am perfectly honest on this viewing, because I'd seen it, I think I zoned out for a second leading up to it. There's a bit of dialogue that happens as he's walking Amir to that scene and I missed mm. it and I didn't, I was, I was like, I'm not going to rewind it. Um, <laughs> But that I think is a bit of exposition, but I just couldn't recall, like, what is the setup for that? Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you know? Like, oh, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, as much as I know, as much as the film gives me is supposedly it is in the chef culinary world. Uh-huh. There is this underground sort fight of club, fight right. club thing where basically if your name means something, you can offer up your name. And people have the opportunity to, for one minute, beat the crap out of you for, right. I don't know, cathartic reasons, for whatever, yeah. because you don't okay. fight okay. back. Yeah, that's you know? I, like, yeah. So basically, it would be like, uh, here's how I equated it, is I would be like, what if there was this weird underground world where somebody was like, you know what I really want to do is I really want to, for one minute, beat the fool out of that celebrity, because that celebrity is so obnoxious or whatever. Like, if it's a known name then people can pay money and go to this place and for one minute beat the crap out of that person. And then that person would then earn information or they would be able to extract something uh, for having delivered themselves up. And and I think that's a little weird, and I don't think the film does much to substantiate it. Well, okay. So I don't know if I'll turn you around on that quibble, but what you've described is kind of how I interpreted it. So I wasn't too far off in my comprehension there. Yeah. So I spent a number of years waiting tables. And while I am not aware of any secret den of fight club esque uh, fisticuffs that go (laughs) on related to that, I do know in a general sense, you know, like theater folk, restaurant folk are a bit of a a bit of a breed unto themselves. Mm, mm, And mm. they're especially with what appears to be the the authority and power, Robin Nick. Cage's character wielded prior to his seclusion. Um, I th- I think there's a world where it's not. Uh, you may not have been conveying this, but what I heard was it's a little more. The interaction itself is a little more random than intentional, and I think that it's not so much. Um, what am I trying to say? Well, so, while you're trying to find, uh-huh. go ahead. Or, or, I would disagree with random. I don't think okay. it's random. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's, I think the world building there is unsubstantiated. I don't grasp sure. the, the, the world building of it. Uh, I do think it's trying to convey certain things about how far he's willing to go, 
what he's willing to do, that feeds into the the rest of the whole. I just think that nugget of world building is not as substantiated as other aspects of the film are. Okay. And I think for a movie that isn't super interested in filling in all the dots for you, how I read that scene, especially knowing the restaurant worlds, which can be populated by your worker bees, you know, the servers, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. host and hostesses, mm-hmm. the bussers, all this sort of stuff. And then it can also be, and then it is also populated by extreme ego yeah. Uh, yeah. and power trip. Think about the scene with Derek, which is an incredibly powerful scene, but he says to him, you weren't good at cooking whatever some, he, he named some particular thing, but he fired him after like three weeks. He overcooked the, yeah, he overcooked yeah. the pasta. Mm-hmm. I fired you after three weeks. So his reputation is one of, you know, not unearned, but kind of authoritarianism. Like he, it's his way or the highway. You will not, uh, uh, tamper with the way Robin Fell does it. So to me, I will utterly agree. It's a choice. It's a strong storytelling choice. Sure. But yeah. for a yeah, movie yeah. about that seems to be about, repentance reconciliation uh here's this word again even a degree of penance like to me it's him subjecting himself to that condescension in order to yeah you know because of whatever he was like previous to his seclusion anyway uh, point being yeah i i agree it's odd uh i think thematically it kind of works even if not perfectly yeah oh i I do actually even agree with that. That's why it's a quibble, not a gripe. You know, like, it, honest, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, okay, yeah. like, like, honestly, it's like degrees. it's one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And my affection for this film is so all encompassing and overwhelming that literally I just, I just forgive it. Like in the moment I'm like, yeah, I don't quite understand this. So if somebody else was to push back on it, I'd be like, okay. But, uh, but yeah, I just, I, I forgive it and I love it. So, yep. Um, my only other bit that I would offer in the sense of like trivial bits is, and maybe this speaks to the, what I considered an unsubstantiated inclusion in the film. The original cut was like more than two hours long. So they cut off nearly an hour of it and maybe more was done, you know, in that, you know, that actually surprised me. You know, it's, it's very much a mood piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so it surprises me. There was that much more, I guess, story. Um, maybe if only because it's so about a mood, um, do you interpret, you know, we're in quibbles and so I'm, it's, it's more just, there's a little lack of clarity here and there, i.e. fight club, but also the, the baker, the the woman baker, he approaches at the end for the bread. Yeah. That's just a, an exit colleague effectively. I, my interpretation of that moment is that Rob and his wife used to either... No, they used to run that shop. And when his wife died and he decided to go into seclusion, he simply let her take it over. And therefore, she is now running it still. That, That is... 
my interpretation of that scene. The film doesn't connect all of those dots, but right. I think it does more for that than it does for Fight Club. But sure. my, yeah. my interpretation of that is that she used to be one of the employees, maybe the assistant manager or whatever, and then when he left into hiding, she she took over. Do you view the... Because you're right. I mean, it's an easier wrinkle to iron out than Fight Club just because it's a pretty normal human relationship there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to craft that question. That's okay. Um, Well, mainly I was just, I'm just processing Fight Club and thinking about like, Mm -hmm. I do think there's a shred of penance there or maybe a bigger, bigger than a shred. I do think there, but the question that was trying to form itself was, do you interpret it as more him uh, subjecting himself to a certain degree of penance or is it he's just so sorrowful that it doesn't really matter the the blows he takes i, I don't know that i i don't know that i'm there but I, I don't know i don't know yeah and and what you are scratching at i mean i would say kind of yes and maybe sure because i that that's part of why that moment is a quibble for me is because i don't i feel like it's not unrelated to the rest of the proceedings but that moment in particular, like pretty much every other scene in the film, I could point to and be like, well, that directly connects to this and reflects on that and informs this. That Fight Club scene, I have to stretch and work sure. to include that. I'm, I'm, it's not a ton of work to sort of make it fit, but it doesn't fit easily, which is why right. I'm not arguing with you about like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not a thing. I can my affection for this film can be pretty unbridled and still just point to that scene and be like, yeah, that's I mean, that scene, one of these things is not like the other, <laughs> you know, like that scene is kind of not as fluid as the rest of it. But again, I wouldn't some people might, but I wouldn't say no to watching the director's a director's cut of this film. I don't know that we'll ever get one. And I don't even know that I really want one because I love the film as it is. But if one existed, maybe that would inform some of the fight club scene in a better way. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. But because yeah, it is interesting they you you have to fill in a lot of blanks for the the broader world they indicate meaning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. amir and the dad and kind of what because because you know when when robin has his first encounter with the dad the dad talks like a gangster which is not mm-hmm. precisely what he is. Um, so yeah. anyway, yeah, they, they just, yeah. they indicate a lot more below the surface of the water than the movie actually right. gives you, which, which is fine. Uh, and, and to mm-hmm. me in a broader sense, doesn't hurt. It's just to your point when it's, when the, uh, glacier is so sharp, like a fight club scene, you're like, oh, right. what's right. What's down there? <laughs> Cause <laughs> right. it would help no, me I understand. Agree. Uh, yeah, but no, exactly. I can get exactly. down with that. Do you want to, uh, would you like Reed? Because because this is not well, we're we're not we're not in horror town here. This um, is not quite horror. It's not. It's, it was voted not. on by the patrons, but this is not quite. That's horror. true. That's true. So, it's yeah. But that's because it's old tricky Nick. Um, <laughs> I think it's time for a little. I mean, in the spirit of the fact that this is, as by your own admission, the greatest of all time. It's oh, wow. is it a pig or is it a goat? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's time for some. <laughs> that's so right. That's so right. Man said, is it a pig or a goat? Wow. 
Wow. Wow. Oh, um, man. So, I'm going to let you so go first because it's your. I really appreciate faith. that because I want to talk about this moment. Um, my first, number one, that's so right. Here is the scene that I will describe, and then we can unpack it if we need to. The scene I will describe is the first taste of Robin's cooking. The moment towards the end of the film when the dad takes a bite Mm -hmm. and then takes a drink and then takes another bite of the meal that Robin has prepared for him. And to set the scene for people who maybe haven't seen this film yet, the situation is... It's an hour and a half. Go watch it, but go ahead. Yes, please go watch it. It's an hour and a half. Even if you don't like it, I don't think you'll find it a waste of your time. So, um, Robin is on the search for his pig. He discovers through the journey of, of uncovering different things that his kind of partner in trying to find this pig, Amir, that actually Amir's dad hired the people who came and stole the pig. And when he first confronts Amir's dad about that, Amir's dad basically threatens to, to kill the pig and, and cook him if Robin continues to pursue this this track of investigation. In response to that, Robin's choice is to then make a meal for this man, this man who stole the thing he loved, and he chooses to seek out hard-to-find ingredients and cook a meal for this man, and not just any meal. Mm -hmm. He is about to cook a meal for this man that earlier in the film we learn was one of the only meals that brought this man happiness in his relationship with his wife, who we also then learn is basically comatose from some undisclosed illness. And as good as, I say as good as dead, I don't mean that to be disrespectful. The son initially refers to her as dead. And then we find out later in the film that uh, she is merely in a coma, in a, in a, I presume, vegetative state. And so connecting these dots again, you've got a man who has lost his wife uh, in, in the dad. The, the dad has, you know, uh, his wife is in a coma, in a vegetative state. They did not have the happiest of marriages, but there was one meal that they shared that they were supremely happy about. And Robin's choice in trying to obtain back the pig that this man stole from him is to cook that same meal from him. And my first that's so right moment is when the man takes that first couple of bites of that of that food, he breaks down emotionally and begins to weep. And Nathan, I was I was so moved by everything that that film and and that moment was doing. The, the graciousness towards him, the tenderness towards him, the power of memory, the power of service, the power of, of, of sharing you know, a, a, a meal together, an artful meal, and what that means for culture and relationship. I was so completely moved by so much of that. Um, and, and so that scene just, just floored me. I, I cried the first time I see it. And, you know, I didn't weep for hours or whatever, but I genuinely teared up. At, at that scene when I first saw it the first time because I was, I was stunned by what I was witnessing and I just, I, I just loved it. So that's my, that's my first that's so right. Yeah. I think that's a powerful scene. I, it, we will naturally 
go a little more on that later, I assume. So I'll, I will yeah, not spend yeah. too much time there other than to just yes. And you, um, it's like curveball, but still within the rules here, you know, what oh, that, you know, what my that's so right is Reed. So like, so I'm ready for the curveball. This is, this is what I mean. You talk about mood. Like I, I am, I'm a feeler. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm riding the wave of the search for the thing and the thing being lost and the, the one who loses offering grace to the one who stole. So I'm already on that mm-hmm. wavelength and just really feeling it. And then read, then oh boy. one of the best cover songs that I've been listening to about 20 times since yesterday. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Is oh my gosh. A little singer songwriter named Cassandra Violet covering mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen's I'm on fire. It's incredible. God would God. It's, it's beautiful. And did Lord you know, I, I looked up a little bit on her. She is a high school teacher by day mm. in California mm. and wow. kind of has her own little, you know, side hustle side trying hustle. to make it work yeah. with, with singing and songwriting. But that's a hell of a cover it's and it's such beautiful. a great <laughs> man. I almost just ruined it for myself. I'm like, you know, it's a movie about pig and then Simon on fire. Like, is it, I don't know. That's not a good, oh, no. not a good look, mm-hmm. but no. <laughs> it is until that <laughs> unintentional, uh, uh, personal screw up there. Uh, it's such a great punctuation mark on the vibe, the mood, the energy, the feeling, the affection, the emotion, God, of I love it. God, the I love arc it. of that film so so yeah uh when the movie ends you got nick sitting there you know kind of back in his home uh reconciling himself to what's lost yeah probably looking forward we cut to black and that song comes on and i'm like okay because it's because the song start like the context for that song for people who haven't seen it yet which please again go watch this movie but the context for that song is We've seen this cassette tape for Robin, and then when we hear it, it is his wife, who we then learn has died, or, you know, we learn has died, and it's her making a recording for him, and she starts it off so sweetly. She's like, we're going to go have a dinner, and you're going to complain about the food, but I just want to, you know, play you this and make you happy, and then she plays this gorgeous rendition of I'm on Fire, and while he's listening to it, he's unlacing his boots, Mm -hmm. and then he looks down where his pig used to sit, the little blanket beside his beside his bed, the little bedspread he has. He looks there, and then he looks up. I'm presuming towards his wife. He he looks there, and then he looks up and cut to black. Nathan, I was I was stunned. I this movie just had me. Like mm-hmm. everything about that, the movie just had just me. And that honest bit <laughs> turning real slow. <laughs> oh man, uh, kebab. So, but basically, like, but basically, like that. The beauty of that moment to me, like that song so tenderly and lovingly rendered over top of what we know is happening in that moment. It's just, uh, yes, I, I second. It's, you, it's, it's stunning. It's really, really great. Can I mention one last one before we sure. go out of that? So, right. Um, I have to comment on Robin Feld, you know, like basically deconstructing the chef it's in the incredible. restaurant. It's incredible. That that I mean, moment that is amazing. Is Ugh. just sharp. Uh, so good. It's so good. I love his whole like his whole thing is like none of this is real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real because you aren't real. And then he wrote down or I wrote down. He said, "Every day you wake up 
and there will be less of you. You live your life for them, and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. And, and he says earlier in that, because you haven't shown them to, you haven't shown them, uh, shown yourself to them. I didn't write down that part. But then the the punch at the end of that, of just, we don't get a lot of things to really care about. That's going to come up in at least my expression of theme, but we don't get a lot of things to really care about. My God, that moment is just killer. It's so killer. It's so mm. right. It is. So right. That's just so right. Mm. Hey, Bob oh, Dylan was just in town. I didn't go. But was it? I thought about you mm. when I saw it as I drove past the sign. That makes me happy. I like mm. I like Bob Dylan. I know a lot. you do. Um, man, there is th- so the one risk about diving into a film like this is that I won't get for talk. a ninety. Huh? No, not, not not as much a risk as that. For for a ninety minute film, there's just so much going on in it, mm-hmm. so many different places it points, and so many different things it thinks about. I mean, like it it points to oh. I'll lead with this because this is somewhat trivial, but this made me really sad, genuinely sad. First, it made me angry. Then it just made me sad and it still sort of makes me sad. I had an actual like Facebook argument no, that's about this movie. No, it's not, but about I had an actual the Facebook about here's the thing. And you think more people know Animal Farm? Get out of here. Rihanna. Wow. Wow. So, but no, in the film, like I had seen in one of the film groups I was in, somebody spoke up and they were like, oh yeah, that film was a total letdown. They totally pitched it as like hyper revenge film, like John Wick thing, and then they totally pulled the punch. <laughs> they just they just completely didn't do that. And I'm being a bit reductive to their argument. Maybe their argument was more well-formed than that, but I'm not too far off the mark of they said it presented itself as a revenge film and then uh, you know pivoted and swerved and dropped the ball. And my immediate argument is like, why do you think this is a revenge film? There is nothing in this film that speaks about revenge. Well, out of and, curiosity, and a, out of, I'm sorry to cut you off, but out of curiosity, because I don't remember if I saw a trailer for it, but when the setup is man in seclusion loses animal he loves and it's Nick Cage, to your point earlier, it's either going to be Gonzo or it's going to be something completely opposite. So I do, I don't empathize with, I don't like what it actually was. That's different than, man, this marketing really sold me a bill of goods. You know what I mean? Like I, I could see a case well, where see, maybe marketing. But yeah. And that's actually how I tried oh, okay. in my way to go, to move towards them and say is, is what I said to them. As I said, I think you expected a revenge film. I still contend this film never tries to be a revenge no. film, nor does it indicate that it's going to be. I think the person expected it to be. And when it is utterly not. And, and so I just need to make yeah. one more statement. I know you're, I know you're on fire over there, but like, <laughs> For me, I, I wrote down. <laughs> I wrote down. I said it makes me sad that, and it's a kind of a sad commentary that our presumption that the reaction to loss will be revenge and not rescue. That makes me sad. Sure, because I feel like this film is a rescue film, and I feel like it's a rescue film from the moment his pig is gone. But we are conditioned to believe loss has happened, you stole my property, I'm going to take revenge yes. on you. 
And that makes me so sad because, I, and one of the reasons I connect, I'm sorry, I'm getting fired up, but one of the reasons I connect so deeply with this film, <laughs> one of the reasons I connect so deeply with this film is because his immediate response and his consistent response is rescue. Yes, he grows frustrated and even a bit angry along the way as he's discovering the maliciousness that he totally did not deserve with the people who stole his pig, but he just wants his pig back. He just wants to rescue his pig. And I find that so lovely that his intent is consistently rescue, and I find it so sad and frustrating that there are those out there who think like, no, it's revenge. He never took revenge, and he should be taking revenge. I'm like, no, rescue is the point. Right. Anyway, I'm done. So the moment, I noticed this this time, uh, the moment this movie tells you explicitly it is Mm -hmm. not that. Now, listen, we live in a loud culture that feels as though it's getting increasingly louder, increasingly more antagonistic. Mm -hmm. I can understand almost a craving of that catharsis, right? Like, sure. You know, I mean, think about it. Uh, a, before this movie came out was Mandy, which is that right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so kind of two sides of the same coin because Mandy is a revenge film. Right. Mandy is absolutely right. a revenge film. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, the savviness of this film, and I wrote it down as of that so right, but it's such a singular moment, though maybe I'm now, you know, ratcheting it up my list here. Um, when this movie tells you it's not a revenge film is the second right before he goes to bed or roughly there. Do you remember he he drives the knife down into the wood block? Do you remember this moment? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's a shot mm-hmm. of that wood block. I'm sorry, of the knife. It's fully framed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a shadowy uh habitat, you know, uh, abode that he has. Uh mm-hmm. but but you are clearly meant to see this knife which is in literary terms Chekhov's gun. It's a yes. weapon yes. has been shown explicitly and directly Mm -hmm. and then what happens they show up they assault him he picks up the knife and it does nothing that is the moment this movie is telling you this is not a revenge movie yeah i couldn't agree saying it's disarming it's yes literally it's disarming Mm -hmm. um and so no I, i i you know it just it, it made it's me hard. so sad. I, I think I think I think marketing can kind of suck sometimes, and so I, I, I'm empathetic to that notion. I do think at a certain point, it's it's hard to do this, uh, but you know, taking a thing on its own terms is a lot wiser choice ultimately. Um, well, because this person this person had said basically like it's the same opening as John Wick. I was like, no. First of all, no, it's not. Second of all, like John Wick. They set up all that time, like, oh, he's a boogeyman. You don't want to mess with him. And that's, we don't get that set up with this. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know? This is just, they've taken his animal. They've taken his pig. And I, yeah, I love, I love your um, identifying of that. Like, the film literally disarms him. And, and then as he's moving across, you know? But to be fair, that's subtle. But it's there. Yeah, yeah. And I I think it's intentional. Um, What is significantly less subtle is when, he finds the the woman. Well, he doesn't find her. Uh, Amir takes him to the woman, and she's like, "Who's? They stole your pig. 
what kind of pig was it? And he said, a truffle pig. And she starts cussing up a storm and she's like, and she's like threatening and everything and then drives him out there and they admit to taking his pig. And what does he do? He simply asks them who put them up to it so that he can go and find them. He leaves them alone. Doesn't take any revenge. Doesn't beat the fool out of them. Nothing. He just, every step along the way is just, who has my pig? I just want my pig back. And at the two thirds mark, when he when um, Amir says, you know, he he admits to Amir, I can find truffles without my pig. Mm-hmm. And then, oh God, I love this moment. He says, I can find truffles without my pig. You just pay attention to the roots of the trees. And Amir's like, well, then why are we doing this? Because I love and then her. And he simply says, I love her. Oh my God! <laughs> like that's all this is. Is it's just yes, a man and his pet, but it's a relationship that has now been severed and torn. And yes, that has deeper resonance for who the character is. By the end of the film, we realize it hasn't just been about a pig, <laughs> but it, it it is about love and rescue. That is what the film is after, and it's just oh man. Anyway, yeah, the, I'll, I just had to set all of that up. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm just staring at a herd of pigs. I'm like, which one do we talk about? Um, I know. I know. What do you care about, Reed? Mm, God. <laughs> I know that's the thing is it's like I'll tell you what ma- I'll tell you what matters to me right now mm. tell you what matters to me right now is 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 presentness I don't mean availability I mean sure. presentness life is not going to permit me always an abundance of availability but when I am available I want to be present with my wife or with my son that is what I care about. I care about, you know, I was having, I was having a conversation with um, my wife about not this specific, what do you care about? But, you know, I was talking about my job. My job's really hard. And in many ways, my job is, is, is difficult and challenging in a number of ways. And that understandably made my wife feel a bit sad for me. And what we then started talking about and, and without getting into too many unnecessary particulars, as I started talking about the, the position of our life at the moment that my job currently affords me to be able to support this or to be able to support that or to be able to do this or to be able to do that. And all of those things mean a lot more to me. And I really, you know, like, and, and here's what I said back to her. I said, it's okay that my job sucks sometimes. Like, it's okay. My job can suck sometimes because... It permits this or it permits that. Does that mean it's the only one that can do that? No, of course. But it's a reframing in my mind of like, it's okay. It's okay because to the spirit of your question, we don't get a lot of things to really care about. And what I really care about is presentness with my family, authentic conversations with my wife, my son, authentic moments with my wife and my son, being present with them, being um truly as much as I can be connected with them in spirit or in thought. And that is what I care about. And I want to be, you know, I want to be protective of that. And I want to, and if something like that were to rupture, I would want to rescue it. That's what I care about at the moment. Presentness. Hmm. What do you care about, Nathan? It's funny. I had a conversation with my wife. I had a conversation with my wife. Um, (laughs) join us on Patreon to catch that reference. Um, (laughs) how do I make this concise? Uh, my eldest has really 
developed a an interest in a sort of occasional obsession with things like the potential of auditioning and kind of getting into mm, mm. that zone, that world's which I've had some candid conversations with my wife creates this weird vibes in my core of just like, well, did, did I, you know, did I honor enough of that in me? Um, mm. Mm. And it was interesting because I, I don't remember precisely the verbiage of it, but asked a pretty pointed question about like, you know, did I not devote enough of this? I'm reminded of, Hunter's vulnerable story circa once upon a time in Hollywood and that kind of vibe. And, yeah. and it was interesting. My wife is really good at, uh, healthy deconstruction. And <laughs> in the way we hate when our loved ones put us on the spot like that, which I did to her, um, you know, she, she, you could tell she was finding her, her thoughts in a way that was gracious and attempting to be comforting too. And she said, uh, she, at least ancillarily pointed to this, this meaning you and I in here. And she said, it seems like there's a lot about that world that you may wouldn't have a whole lot of interest in, you know, the, the, the obsessive pursuits, the just certain aspects of it that would, I would find tedious and possibly boring yeah. and disinteresting. Yeah. And she said, it sound it feels to me and observing you that what matters to you is, as best you can trying to care for people and using your voice to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about that a lot and you know, this movie really stirs the pot. No, sincerely, no pun intended of his, his conversation with Derek is mm. it's incredible and it will chasten the most hardened heart of you know, just, just, I, I work in a sales role and, and I've done it for eight years now, which is long enough to officially certify oneself as a salesperson and in sales, quote unquote, and the bedrock sort of aspect of that vocation of that occupation is, uh, if you're not careful and over, uh, over attention to, but definitively pursuit and gain and accumulation and yeah, subsuming of, of self, you know, and mm. it's funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day. I don't know if you've heard of this. I had not. Uh, there's this Yale professor who has started teaching this class on happiness and mm it has gone quite literally viral. You know, thousands of students at Yale take this class. It's available online and thousands of people are taking it uh, yeah, because wow. of this. She, she's reflecting on, you know, high suicide rates and on high depression mm. rates, high anxiety rates. And so it's all about what does happiness look like and, and how often as you and I language you and I might use it's, it's very upside down. And it was interesting because she, she identifies yeah. two things in this conversation more, but the two that stuck out to me were social connection and helping people like, mm -hmm. and she identifies, she's like being able, and she's setting this against, and this is not me chastening you on your Facebook fight, but 
she she sets it against digital interactions and she says the amount sure. of good for one's mental health talking to a stranger on public transit for instance does for happiness is high and yeah. solving one's problems and something that's very interesting she she talks about it in an income standpoint too she's like there are studies that are pretty sound that basically say a certain level of happiness is uh, accomplished in American society at $75,000 a year. Like, like a person with that level of income, mm, you know, okay. your, your, your housing in a general sense, your health insurance in a general sense, your, your needs are being taken care yeah. of at that level. She said, yeah. these studies reflect that you would base that from a quantifiable scientific data standpoint, you would have to quintuple that number to have a measurable difference in happiness. Wow. Based on this wow. study. Mm. Point being, we buy the lie. We we yeah. we pull a Derek mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. assign ourselves this expectation that, well, I really want to do a pub, but what I've done instead is something that someone I really respect literally squishes their finger into you know <laughs> um, yeah so can we can we yeah, just uh, yeah, yeah. uh sorry can we briefly unpack that moment just for and what i say about it i, I mean describe it just like literally in two sure so just, um the yeah, uh, uh robin is on pursuit of of or you know sniffing out all clues uh for the location <laughs> of this uh, uh you know titular pig and uh, ends up with a mirror at this restaurant, uh, high end restaurant, um, at which is this, the chef is a gentleman named Derek, uh, who Robin asks for to speak to the chef, to the server the chef comes out. Derek is putting on his, I'm an important person in this restaurant world show for these two people. Doesn't immediately recognize Robin for the luminary. He was in their industry and Amir even even encourages him, tell him who you are. And, mm -hmm. and Robin kind of casts his view up to him to kind of reveal his full face. And Derek kind of, you know, uh, in a moment of recognition, acknowledges who he is. Oh my gosh, you know, I worked for, for you or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but, uh, the, the essence of the scene is Robin then calls bullshit on all that he yes. has all he's doing literally i mean you 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 quoted it earlier but there gets to i mean almost as strong as the scripting here is is this day player playing Derek, mm -hmm. who is having a mental breakdown at someone right in front of him calling yes. him on the carpet saying it's not real the critics the customers this he points to the food isn't mm -hmm. real why do you care about these people? Read, I wrote this monologue down and dead gummit. They're good people who exist in the world and God loves them. But I thought about my work. Why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't know you because you haven't shown them every day. You'll wake up. You'll be less of you. You live your life for them and don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. And that feels <laughs> strong to say that about my own personal self. But you know, these a scene that powerful, a monologue that powerful is going to cut to the core regardless of who right. hears it. And that's the point. Um, and it's just, it's an incredible scene uh, that's that's kind of it and the ultimate meal that you referenced are kind of the 
standouts, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, They're the emotional anchors of the film, yeah. if you will. Like, and I feel like this film has so much, cause think about a mirror through the course of this, like he's rehearsing in the mirror. He doesn't want yeah. to be like, whenever he's engaging with the people along he's the way, him. Hey, can you get me? Yeah. And he's like, Oh, Hey, what's up, man? You know? And he's, he's, he's playing the part, you know? And I think it's so interesting uh, speaking of subtle moments, he's playing the part, uh, listening in the car to why classical music is important, a lecture about why classical music is important instead of just listening to music, instead of just enjoying whatever. And then that Derek moment comes, and I remember I'm sitting there thinking, like, yeah, we choose over care, over passion, we choose placement and status and pretension. That's what we choose. When he says, like, why do you want to do this? And and I don't remember his exact words. Like, you know, why are you doing this? Why didn't you do your pub? He said, this is cutting edge. You know, that's what Derek answers back. Like, this is cutting edge. Like, oh, I'm going to be on the edge of something. And then it's like, instead of doing the thing that you had seeds planted in your heart to say, do this. God, do this. You had a signature. And what does he say as his reason for not doing the pub? There's no, it's a terrible investment. Right. And I remember sitting there thinking, I was like, my God, because I will tell you this, I have thought a lot about, hmm, I, I'm about to say this thing and there's a whole bunch of people going to call me on the carpet of like, are you advocating it's just, selfishness? It's just, it's just me here. Yeah. I know. But what I was going to say is like, investing in yourself or your dreams is never a bad investment. Like, that's never a bad investment. And I'm not saying in that, like, oh, you're more important than everybody else, and you, you know, uh, what you want or what you need should be at the behest of everything else. But no, when you're talking about, like, what you're going to pursue and what you're going to make of yourself, it's like, how many people, I will never forget, and I've referenced it on the, sh on the sh podcast before, but I will never forget the story that Ray Bradbury told about how he used to collect these Buck Rogers comic strips and he loved them and he got so excited for them and he read them and he would collect the Buck Rogers comic strips and then kids at school made fun of him for them and they said it was stupid and they said it was, it was childish and ridiculous and so he went home and threw away all of his Buck Rogers comic strips that he'd collected. He trashed them all and he said, and this is as he tells the story, I'm paraphrasing but it's, it's, it's roughly the same. He said, and several days later, I found myself sitting in my room weeping, and I didn't understand whose funeral I was attending until I realized I was attending my own hmm. because I had killed the thing that I loved. And he said, so I went out, and I repurchased all of those Buck Rogers comic strips, and I never listened to a damn fool again for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I think about that, and I think about that in concert or a conversation with, we don't get a lot of things to really care about. And I think I'm, I'm far past the point in my life where I where I need to care what other people think about what I care about. You know, sure. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. at this moment where like I had this decision point to make and it wasn't a difficult decision. I'm going to pose it. it. It wasn't some big Herculean struggle, but it was uh, a situation with a job where we had some of our suppliers in town and I was with senior leadership of the company and the senior leadership of the company was going to be going to dinner with senior leadership from our suppliers, and I was invited. And it was that night. And the choice that I had at my disposal is 
Go get a free, expensive meal with senior leadership within my company and senior leadership with our supply base, so a good status-ridden conversation. Go have a meal with Air, or go home and watch professional wrestling with my son. <laughs> that was that was the choice that was on the table. And in the scheme of things, you know, like, oh, well, I could watch professional wrestling tomorrow or whatever. But in the scheme of things, I was like, I'm choosing to go home and to be present with my son for this moment. We're going to laugh, and we're going to get excited, and we're going to thrill at these moments, and that's what I'm doing instead of the other thing. And I know that there are circumstances where it won't break down that simply. I recognize that there are conditions that you, you need to push and pull. What I am urging for and advocating for in this moment is simply what Robin does to Derek in that moment. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. And what you asked me earlier, Nathan, what do you care about? Well, take care of the thing you care about. Be well, mindful and be care of, you know, be of care of the thing you care about. Anyway. You know, I, I, um, I want to be sensitive overall to time, but two kind of lingering thoughts, one in response to that or tying off the care notion and then just kind of one other loose idea, but, or loose thought. Um, I think one of the most impactful, uh, moments, and it's already been referenced is, is the script choice, the character choice of, I don't need her to find truffles mm -hmm. because we, we uh, culturally societally um, in church, out of church, if a thing isn't producing, if a thing isn't uh, accomplishing a goal, um, mm -hmm. achieving some success for us, we often will consider that expendable, right? We mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. It is harder to love a thing because it exists than it is for what it gives us. Mm -hmm. And I think the challenge of, I think, I think there's an easy case to be made. And I'll, I'll attempt to make it here in a second that, that this movie has a lot of, uh, I don't think it set out to be a movie about faithful thought and deed, but it's not hard at all to read it into it. But I think a great challenge and evidence of a faithful life is loving things simply because they are worth loving mm. and not because mm. they pad your wallet or right, uh, right. achieve you notoriety um, mm -hmm. or recognition, but simply because they exist. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful turn in the film that signals a great depth uh, to what's being laid out there. And I'll, 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 so that's me tying that off, but I want it to feed into at least my, uh, uh, perhaps final notion here that's that's kind of half formed but then this idea of of what a faithful life can look like being loving things simply because they're worth loving and what this movie by its end is ultimately about so my family did a thing this past weekend reading yeah uh, we went to church and that's a 
you know, mm. go go to church if you want. Don't if you don't uh, do it because it's true, not because of fear of punishment or promise of reward. Thank you, Richard Rohr. Yeah. And Josh Bowron, who was on our uh, midnight mass roundtable, uh, the rector at the church we attend, one of the things he said there just came back to mind watching Pig. And he said, there are two places Christ will always reliably be found in the pain of the world and at the table. Mm. And this film's climax is the table. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the nexus point for, for these three men reconciling themselves to their pain. Mm. Mm -hmm. It is, it is a mere attempting the steps towards potential reconciliation with his father. It is the father unintending to <laughs> unintentionally. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, having a little, uh, uh, grace sneak attack on him, uh, <laughs> reconciling himself to the hardness of his own heart, uh, by right. being reminded, uh, it is, I, uh, I, I do think it's fair to call Robin a, a Christ figure of a sort. Um, in so far as I remember every meal I've ever served, right? Mm -hmm. I remember what yeah. was the other thing he remembers? Um, he said, I remember every meal I've ever cooked. I remember every person I've ever served. Yes. He uses yeah. his gift to heal someone else. Yeah. And in so doing is hurt himself. Like that yeah. scene, the, the, the tale of that scene is, is the revelation to him. But to your point earlier, this is not a revenge story. And why it's sad to me that more stories aren't like this is because the way of grace, the way of healing is this <laughs> vengeance is a, is a, is an illusion. It's not real. Yeah. Revenge not is real. not real. Comeuppance is not real. It is demonic falsehood that we place our hopes on and will fail us every time. Hmm. <laughs> But we live in a culture that is, that is, <laughs> that can't shut up about everyone else's wrongdoing or fake wrongdoing, you know, anyway. Yeah. So that, like, in a practical sense, that moment, he's, you know, reminding this man, Amir's dad, he's reminding him of love and relationship. Sure. And bringing him back in that moment as an expression of, hey, this is how I feel. Give me back my pig. And then, of course, when he, the, in, in, we haven't talked a lot about Nicolas Cage's performance in this conversation. That moment when the dad finally reveals that the pig was too wounded after the, you know, drug addict thieves right. um, manhandled her too roughly and she died. Nicolas Cage's response to that, his utter, you know, just complete deflation and breakdown. Um, really powerful moment for him as a as a performer, um, especially because of how like wild and gonzo we know he can be, and how true and genuine and understated that moment is. I re I really struggled with one thing to bring up because. In, in the way that I can, I I can get stuck inside my own head for like context. And we haven't invoked this term in a while, but like context wizards and everything like that. But there's a, a passage of scripture in the book of Galatians, or sorry, not Galatians, in the book of Colossians, where it says, 
you know, what you do, everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm reluctant to bring that up is because it's on the tail end of the much more controversial passage where he it says, you know, like, wives submit to your husbands and, and you know, all of all of these ki- kinds of things that um, it basically is, is, you know, there's a lot of fraughtness to some of the unpacking of those things. But okay. I want to focus in on that in that just phrase, what you do, do it as unto the Lord. And I was thinking about that while I was watching Pig this time. Just that phrase. Just what you do, do it as unto the Lord. And what struck me in that moment was not the, oh, you do it for God, or you do it for status, or you do it for whatever. It's like, no, no, no. What does Christ teach us? Like, I, I, I made you and love you, and that is why you are here. You know, like... Like, I first loved you, you know, I desire you to live in the fullness and the awareness of that love, and I keep thinking about, like, what we do, we so often do it for some version of status, for some version of escalation up the ladder, for some version of prominence, for some version of investment, and I think about that, and I think about what if I just was making every decision as if it's like, you know man, this language can get so fraught. So listeners and co-hosts, just forgive me. But the spirit that in which I'm approaching this is, what if I just did everything as if God made me to do it? Like, what if I just did everything as if God put me in this moment to do it? What if I just loved my son as if God put me in this moment to love my son? What if I just expressed love towards my wife because God put me in this moment to love my wife? What if I just spent time like, caring for myself or refreshing myself because God made me and I and and I have these things in my heart that I love and want to pursue. What if what if I did that just to care and be a good steward of the things that that have been given into my world? What if I just did what I did because God made me to do it? And I think a lot of times we can hear something like that and we can then immediately get twisted up in conversations about potential and conversations about success and conversations about like, oh, look at this. It's, uh, it's going to change the world. And it's gonna, you know, in, in the patron segment, we talked to a degree about this Elizabeth Holmes person who, you know, like kept saying like, oh, I want to change the world. And it was all just like fraudulent. It was all just like, you know, it's not real. Sorry, I'm not unpacking all of that for the people who didn't hear that. But, but I keep thinking about when I watched this movie, I was like, what if I just did it because it was, it was kind of what I was put here to do? What if I just did that? We don't get a lot of things to really care about. What if I did the homework to discover like, what does really matter to me? What do I really mm-hmm. care about? And what if I just cared for those things? Like you said, just because they're, they're here and, 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 and I love them. Right. You know, it's like, I'm, I don't want to spend Hmm. I don't want to calculate my time with my son. Sure. I want to just spend time with my son. I want to love that. I want to to just be just in there. Put that. him I don't in want an armbar. Cal- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drop an the elbow up the top yeah, rope. Yeah. yeah. Panama sunrise. So, but I, oh like, what if I? <laughs> what if I just want to love my wife and be in relationship with my wife simply as it is presentness and truth and and what if i just did that not not calculating it not strategizing it 
merely just being in it and being present with it. What if I just did what I did because God put me here to do it? Or in the language of scripture, what if I did everything I did as unto the Lord? And I keep thinking about that as I think about this movie. And I'm just like, yes, we don't get a lot of things to really care about. Those things are someday going to be gone or we will be gone from them. And I think so much about how much time we waste chasing the wind and throwing our, here's another scriptural reference for you, pearls before swine, throwing the good <laughs> and precious, <laughs> throwing the good and precious things that, that we have. Yeah. <laughs> throwing the good and precious things we have in front of things that don't deserve and haven't, and don't, don't earn our time. We spend so much of ourselves giving into investments that don't earn our time. Like, like Nicholas Gate, Robin says to him in that moment, this is not real. You haven't shown them who you are. You know, none of this is real. He is casting, Derek is casting real talent towards status. He is casting pearls before swine. And how many times do we do that? And instead, focusing in ourselves, asking ourselves the hard question, like, what do you really care about? Well, I, I love my wife so much. I love my son so much. I love this show. I love having conversations with you. I love having conversations with you, Nathan. And thank you, Reed. You, you know, like even in the moments when like we would disagree about something or we would playfully joke about something or even minor annoyances within conversations. I just love having conversations with you. So I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of, be careful of, be attentive to the things that we that we care about. I want, I want to care for the things I really care about. Or in the language of scripture, and then I'll shut up about it. I want to do what I do as unto the Lord. I want to do what I do because I believe God made me or put me here to do it. And and I don't need that to be big, bombastic, world-changing, globe-trotting things. I just want to be present and true and real. And even if that's just washing feet or sharing a TV show with my wife or sharing a conversation with my wife or watching wrestling with my son, I just want it to be real and true and present because we do not get a lot of things to care about. I think I'm. I think I've said my piece on that. Put a fork in you. <laughs> I mean, I think I think as as sort of a final note from at least for me, I I remember. I don't know. It was in it was late 2021, maybe like November or something, and it was almost like for slight context. Um, my personal work was was why the end of 2021 was a bit challenging, as I kind of booked it into overdrive because of a, a an inane sort of sales pursuit but it was almost like my subconscious saw that train coming around november or something and i like if you can just envision jumping off the bullet train for a minute and i remember a conversation with my wife because i was just really you know assessing a lot of the things we're talking about right now and i just said what do you love like what what do we love let's let's kind of talk about that like because because mm. mm. you know i'm not old but i ain't young either and hmm. and that's a that's a question what do you love that i think we should ask ourselves quite often um yeah, yeah. because it will reorient behavior it will reorient spirit or reorient mindset to those things that we do have that we do care about and and ensuring that yeah. even yeah. if we got to have this dumb job cuz it does blah 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 it doesn't become the end all be all for our identification for our, our personhood 
That's um, right. Anyway, right. yeah, I, I, it's yeah. a good good flick. Yeah, ask yourself why you do what you do, and yeah, and what do you love? I love it. I love it so much, and I love this film. You ready to go to the fog meter? Should we do Fun of God this time, since it's not really a horror film, even though we included it in it's there? So kind of too. It's so fun, too. It's so fun. Yeah, let's do it, because it's, <laughs> it's, it fits. It's, it's fun of God. So, yeah, we're the fear of God. Most films that we cover are very scary and, and horrific. We're in a Nicolas Cage series. This is not a scary or horrific film, although I would contend it has um, some some very sort of tense undercurrents of of loss and dread that I think are very real and very palpable. Um, but on the fun meter, I'll go first. Um, and I'm going to categorize fun, not as rip roaring, highfalutin knee slapping laughter, but more just like enjoyment, engagement, craft movement, all of that. And for me, this is a 10. Hmm. What is it for you? Uh, not a 10. Um, not because I, you know, disagree with your assessment of its skills. Just um, I'm going to go for a six. It mm-hmm. is, it is an excellent watch. Uh, it, it's it is it would take work for me to find definitionally fun to assign mm-hmm. big, but <laughs> understood, understood. It's not a slight. What would you? Just a, no. It's it's heard and understood. What would heard? you mm-hmm. say? Mm, there we go. Um, what would you say for the God meter? Uh, I think it's interesting knowing that not so much there is a super cut out there, but that two hours were cut, meaning this is what one hour was cut. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Regardless, uh, uh, yeah, a, lot, yeah. a lot was cut. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Meaning what is left is what they want you thinking about and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what they want you thinking about is rich and it is deep. And it is, I mean, I'll pat myself slightly on the back for noticing the Chekhov's knife sort of scenario up front. But the more I ponder that, the more impressed I am with that choice. Like it is clearly signaling. Mm -hmm. We're not doing what you might even be wanting. Yeah. And that's kind of the nature of goodness sometimes. Um, So, so no, it's hard to deny uh, that both in intent and execution, a 10 is pretty worthy. Yeah. Understood. Um, it's not going to surprise what if you were many like people. Six actually. <laughs> right. No, it's not going to surprise many people at all that I'm giving this, a um, a 10 as well on the God meter. Like I, I, I recognize that not everybody's going to love this film as much as I love this film, but God, I, I say this in utmost sincerity. This is going to sound so ridiculous but i just i i love it when a film like this comes along because man it gives me language it gives me metaphor it gives me things to think about that permit me to to relate to and categorize things in my life and hopefully make me a better person a better father a better husband a better friend i love that when films like that come along and this film doesn't have to do that for everybody and and not everybody has to 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 take that resonance away but boy for me it did it is an unqualified 10 for me i love on the god meter um i I love it when a film like this comes along um and i'm so grateful and happy for it and that means that we give 
Pig. We have not even cited the writer and director yet, and I feel remiss to do that. But um, we give Pig, which was written and directed by, it actually has two writers on it, but um, Michael Sarnowski, and uh, the, it was written by Vanessa Block and Michael Sarnowski. Um, and of course, starring the one and only Nicolas Cage of this series, we give it an eight out, or sorry, a nine out of 10 on <laughs> the fog meter. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> know, it was, you know, yeah, I know. Uh, my calculator did a weird thing, but, um, no, we give it a nine out of 10 on the fog meter. Very substantive showing for that. Uh, of course, that's the fun of God measurement. Um, would you recommend pig to people? For sure. It is a, a morsel of a movie that <laughs> goes down easy and Indeed. makes you think, uh, you know, fight club notwithstanding, which still I can make sure. work, yeah. but you know, yeah. but yes, nope, absolutely. Nope. Agreed. Um, I recommend it almost too much. Like I, I'm at risk of overhyping it to people. Well, for I what it's worth, since it. I rewatched it last night, I've recommended it to four people. <laughs> so yeah, that's <laughs> 24 hours. There it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's such, it's such a lovely film. It's such a different kind of film. Did you know that this is the director who's doing quiet place three? No, that makes so sense. This, yeah, okay. this is the director okay. who's doing quiet yeah. place three. Um, bring it. And, uh, yeah. And I'm like, once I've seen what he can do with a story like this about loss and love and, sure. and rescue, yeah. like, yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. If, if it can't be Jeff Nichols, I would have loved Jeff Nichols, but yep. Jeff Nichols is doing something else. But um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this uh, pairing. And I love this film. I really cannot urge people enough. Like, seek it out. It, it, it's fine if you don't love it, but I really think you need to see if you it. Have, and, if you have Hulu, it it's on there. Yes, uh, it is on Hulu. It's available yeah. as a subscription. So, yeah, by all means, check it out. Um, very different kind of, of Nicolas Cage performance. We've seen fun Nicolas Cage in Willy's Wonderland. We've seen ridiculous Nicolas Cage in Ghost Rider. Uh, we've seen... You know, very, you know, award worthy, subdued, subtle Nicolas Cage in Pig. Next week, we are going to go back firmly into horror territory. Those who are like, man, (laughs) those who are like, man, this ain't no horror movie. Like, okay, well, tune in (laughs) next week because next week we are going to be going to a film from 2019. It was uh, one of his recent string of just outlandish. Uh, very, very extreme k- kind of horror films, uh, and the return of the long dormant director Richard Stanley in an adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft story. That's right. We are going to Color Out of Space. That is next week's film, Color Out of Space. Um, I believe it's available for a number of on a number of platforms uh, subscription wise. It's on Shutter. Um, it is definitely on Shutter. Um, and available on video on demand and all that. But Color Out of Space is where we're going next week, uh, starring the one and only Nicolas Cage. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation about Pig with me. I really, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, listeners, thank you for voting for this. This was like <laughs> the, the second most wanted, most desired conversation in this series. So thank you for that. Um, and uh, yeah, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. In that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. 
If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash the fear of God podcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of tracermatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.